You're listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast with Romza. The world is currently in a state of rebirth. All of the systems we have inherited are collapsing and failing us as a species. It's time for us to come together and create something out of nothing. If you crave deeper purpose, unshakable strength, and a life aligned with your truth, this is for you. This is for you if you are curious and not afraid to ask questions. This podcast is for those searching for their purpose and those ready to step into their full potential. For lovers of truth and those ready for masculine medicine, this podcast is an adventure that gives voice to a journey of healing, discovery, and embodiment. We'll challenge the old narratives we inherited and forge a new path. Join us in this fearless exploration of the multiple dimensions of being human, breathwork, mindset, healing the body, detox, and how to use the gentle way of jujitsu to make you unstoppable in your wellness, business, life, relationships, and more. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Hey guys, welcome back to Our Deepest Fear with your host, Romza. And today I have a very special guest. She's a breathing coach. And I know that sounds overly simplified, but it's actually very incredible. Her name is Dr. Belissa Vranich, and she's the author of Breathe and a lot of other books. The one that I recently read is Breathing for Warriors, and her work is incredible. She's been a regular guest on national television, CNN, Fox, The Today Show, Good Morning America, and Inside Edition. She's interviewed by Anderson Cooper, Bill O'Reilly, Nancy Grace, Dr. Oz. She's been on some of your most treasured podcasts in the world. She's been in newspapers, magazines. I mean, her work is incredible. She does a lot of extensive work, working with firefighters and first responders and military and law enforcement. She gives back so much. She's part of so many organizations. And honestly, she's an incredible human being with a lot of incredible interests, but a very specific focus in teaching people how to breathe and how it relates to their mental, emotional, and physical performance in life. I am so excited to have this interview, and I believe that you're going to love it, and I can't wait for you to listen to it. So let's welcome Dr. Belissa. 
All right. Um, <laughs> so you're in San Diego right now? So I'll let you know there's going to be, there might be some helicopter noise. And I, 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 I like have, those. You like those? Yeah. So I'm in Coronado, which is right next to the Naval, right, right at the Naval Academy. So there's lots of helicopters. And there's also, um, you can hear Reverie. They'll play in the morning and at night, which I actually really like. I don't know why. And then you might hear some whining in the background, and that is my, my puppy. So helicopters and puppy noises, trying to control them as much as I can. I love it. I mean, it's <laughs> kind of perfect that you live close to the Naval Academy because your whole philosophy yeah. is uh, based around the Naval. Yeah. Uh, oh, so good. So good. Wow. I got to drink more coffee to keep up with you. I, I like that. I haven't drank my coffee yet. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh it is. My philosophy is around the navel. I mean, uh, not only in that, again, and I'm going to put belly breath in quotes because it's not just a belly breath, um, but also the fact that, um, you know, around your navel is your your intuition and your center of gravity and your lower dantian if you're into yes. you know, martial arts. So very important part of your body. Yes. Pierce or otherwise. It. Uh-huh. How did you get started? Like, how did you, like, how did, did you start as a clinical psychologist first? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. why, why did you want to get into clinical psychology? Psych was, um, you know, I'd like to say that it was something I was passionate about and I was drawn to it, or there was something interesting about me going into psych, but it just, it was interesting to me. And I thought that the job would have a lot of flexibility. So I could work with children. I could work with adults. I could work in a clinical setting. I could work in a private setting. I, I like the flexibility of be able to, being able to change my mind and have to relearn things and start at the bottom and start all over again. So it just, I wouldn't be stuck in one place um, or just trying to get to one goal. I could actually go in different directions within this field. And I, and I did that. <laughs> I did exactly that, which is stay within psychology, but I went all over the place from sexual health, to geriatrics, to parole evaluations, to domestic violence support groups, to neuropsychology, and then switch from psychometrics to biometrics, which is the breathing. I love it. Now, I, I have a few questions to actually ask about that journey because it sounds a lot like uh, in that field, you're you're almost you're a polymath in that field. Are you familiar with the terminology polymath? Yes. So yes. you're like a polymath in that field, at least from the outside perspective. So my question to you, from one polymath to the to another, <laughs> is what was all what was the linking, what was the red string between all of those uh, different avenues that you went on? Um, it was a belief in in human potential. So, um, yes, in, in each situation, I was with humans helping them, um, hopefully, to get better, be better, get out of bad situations, or even just realize how strong they were. So it might have been working with children or with parolees or whoever it was. It was about having this really intense, wonderful connection with them. I mean, it wasn't always wonderful, but it was definitely always intense and hopefully positive in supporting them in whatever journey they were going on. Um, and since, since each person and each job was so different, it was always challenging to me to keep up. So whenever I had a, a new population I went to, I had to 
re-research and dig and start at the bottom again and and learn about people and do my due diligence to be able to work with them. And I, you know, found that really thrilling for some reason. So, um, but that red string was the belief in human potential and the belief of people to be able to um, recover and and really in their hearts be be resilient. And sometimes you just got to throw them a bone. Sometimes it's the it's the littlest things. I'm always surprised when someone circles back and they with me, whether it's an email or a call, and they say, "Well, I don't know if you remember me." And I always think, "Well, of course I remember you." And these stories are seared in my brain. Um, you know, some of them I wish I could put a little bit farther in my brain because mm. they're they're painful ones and and traumatic ones. But um, of course I remember you. And then they'll say, well, you said this one sentence, or you gave this talk, or you said this to me in therapy. Um, and that's the one thing that helped me switch gears. And, and I mean, you have those experiences, and I do too, where there's people that said one thing, and it was really changing for me. Uh, you know, I, I actually, if I, I'll go off on a tangent, but I was talking no, to please do. Uh, David Grossman. He's a, he's a writer and... and um, uh, a researcher, just all over fantastic person. He wrote the book on killing and on combat. Um, fantastic books. Um, fantastic presenter if you get a chance to see him. But we were sitting together having lunch after a presentation and I was talking about my dad and how much I miss my dad. And my dad was army and just a really great guy. Um, and he would have been fascinated. And I, I miss that he's not seeing what I'm doing because I think he would have really liked it. And, and Grossman says, you know, he would have been really proud of you. Just let me, let me tell you that you're doing good work and he would have been really proud of you. And I immediately teared up and I surprised, it surprised me because I thought, oh, well, you know, it's been 10 years. Uh, I know he'd be proud of me, but to hear it from him was super healing for me because it was someone I respect who has similar uh, sort of like alpha personalities is my dad. And um, it was really, really nice to hear. And, you know, I've, I've replayed that in my brain and obviously now on your podcast because it was so important to me. So anyway, that, that was my long-winded red thread answer. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, it, it reminds me of like that quote by Ram Dass that like we're all just mm -hmm. walking each other home, you know? Oh, I love that. Beautiful. Because like, we don't know where we're going. Like yeah. we we want to know and like we want to like use science and all these ideas. But the reality is like, we just don't fucking know the next yeah. moment that can like transform everything. Everything, everything. Everything. Yeah. And if we need to walk each other home, really, because if not, you know, we're completely alone. And those, you know, it's not often that people have those moments where they realize they are completely alone because usually there's too much noise in the background or the foreground or in our heads. But, you know, if you can realize that without you walking someone home or somebody walking you home, like we are completely, completely alone, which I think that, you know, COVID and our situation right now has has really brought that home, even though I don't think people understand that that's, that's with, if they're suffering, that's why they're suffering. Yeah. Um, because we're not meant to be by ourselves. We're meant to be, you know, in packs and tribe, you know, and I am a pack animal and, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to say I'm suffering because that sounds, I'm not suffering, but I'm definitely impacted by not having as many humans around me as I usually do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
I mean, we definitely thrive as a tribe when we find yeah. our tribe too. That's another thing. Oh, right? Yeah. The other end of that spectrum is being yeah. around a bunch of people that just aren't aligned with yeah, there's some shitty tribes out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Where, where did you grow up? So I was born in Wisconsin, but we left when I was little. Both my parents were were taught there. And uh, we moved to a small island off the coast of Africa for a year. So um, that's where I should have started, I guess, kindergarten or first grade. Uh, but I don't know if there was, it was a very small island and it was a, uh, not very developed at that time. In fact, uh, the sand was black because it's volcanic sand. Now it's very built up, Tenerife it's called, and they bring in white sand. But at that point they didn't have any, the, all the roads, well actually no, the main road was paved, but all the other roads were dirt roads and everything was kind of being half built and then left half built because then you didn't have to pay for certain taxes or something. So anyway, we lived uh, we lived there. I don't think there was a formal preschool going on but my, or first grade. So my mom just said, don't worry about it. And uh, we spent a year pretty much on the beach playing in the sand for a year, which was fantastic. I'd never do it in any other way. And then came back to uh, New York and grew up in upstate New York, well, not upstate, about 40 minutes out of the city, but believe me, as soon as you get out of the city, where, it's where? not I'm from city Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn. So oh, okay, Rockland. You know Rockland. Okay, I know Rockland, Rockland County. County. Yeah. yeah, it's where you we get all You guys have a beautiful our... mall. We ha yes, the Nanu <laughs> well, we had the Nanuet Mall, which I spent way too much time in the arcades, and then we have the, the second biggest mall in the country, and I don't say that with pride because I'm not a not kind of a mall person. And it's a sprawling huge mall, but uh, huge. It has like a amusement park inside. It's I know. just we, we like drive out there. Yeah, people actually, you know, they they run laps inside of it. I don't know how it's doing right now because obviously all stores um, aren't doing so well. But yeah, so Rockland County went to school in the South, and then came back and lived in the city for a long time. New York City. Yep. What were you like as a kid growing up? Oh, quirky. I know that's not really hard to imagine. But uh, definitely, you know, had my own drummer <laughs> going to the beat of my my own thing. Um, I was petite. I was a really tiny kid. So I was always sort of the, the always at the one at the front of the line because I was the smallest. And I was put in sports that were for, for petite girls. So I spent time doing gymnastics and ballet. Um, I really wish I would have been put into martial arts. I mean, again, I don't know if there were martial arts, you know, for girls back then that were easy to get to. Um, there's a fantastic dojo in the town where I grew up um, that uh, is, it does great things for kids. That's actually a guy I went to school with, Tommy Clifford. He set up a dojo there. And I just wish that that would have been there for me because I think that as a, as a tiny girl, I would have, you know, been better off taking some martial arts classes. Anyway, not, you know, it nothing was tragic. I did get to do, you know, back handsprings and pirouettes and things like that, that tiny flexible girls do. But uh, yeah, that's, that's what I was like. Wow. Yeah. I, I have a program in Costa Rica. We have a nonprofit. Uh, Henry does his camps there. That's, oh, nice. that's, how, I, that's how I met Henry. Yeah. Um, and we predominantly have like 140 kids. Uh, I, I don't, I don't lead that project anymore. I, pretty much gave it away now that I'm onto different pastures. But the first, the reason why we started it was because I live, we were living in Costa Rica and I, 
I love jujitsu and I, I was kind of burned out from teaching it at my academy in New York. And I seen that the community just fucking needed it. Like there was all these like young girls being molested and raped by like family members, by uncle, uh, brother, father, when mom was at work. Mm. And I was like this, I, I like my, my path is like, I'm a protector, you know? So I'm not going to go and like kill these dudes uh, because like there'll just be a new one that grows. They're like weeds. So it was just like, we started this program and we expanded the academy three times in a year. We got to the space of like uh, 3,300 square feet. And like in, in a year and a half, we had the number one, two, five and nine competitors in the country, all girls. We had like maybe 10%, 15% boys. Everybody else was girls. And uh, the story that sticks out to me, because like my my dream, it's funny because like I have a very violent past, but like my dream was like, uh, that one of these girls breaks her uncle's arm or her cousin's arm. And then like, we get it. Like they tell us and I'm like, yeah, you know, like one day some girl choked out her dad when he came home drunk, beating the shit out of her mom. And, uh, the girl's 10 years old, tiny little Latin girl. And, uh, that, that's when I really saw the power of, I mean, jiu-jitsu really like Brazilian jiu-jitsu is the alpha martial art, uh, that I've, ever experienced especially when it comes to somebody that's petite or a girl or just it's it's the best tool I've seen for empowering people on the physical plane of existence when it comes to uh, feeding the core or the secondary need in Maslow's hierarchy of needs of security yes uh, yes a violent world whether we like it or not and I think the message of your classes, you know, apart from the strength, because I always love watching videos of of women sweep guys that are much bigger than them. I don't know why I find some, you know, that that's so joy. Yeah, uh, there's there's one of this woman in India, and she's even in her her sari, and she sweeps this guy, and he gets back up again. She sweeps him again, uh, and you know, she's completely unruffled about it. I, it's a great video, but. Um, is that you teach an attitude. And I think that attitude of, I deserve attention. I deserve to be heard. Uh, I'm, I'm mentally strong. I'm physically strong. I can be vocal because when it comes to, uh, you know, situations where there's abuse in the household, you know, this is why I hate stranger danger. Like kids are taught stranger danger. It's seldom a stranger. When you look at the numbers, it's almost always a family member or someone in the community. But we don't teach that. We don't teach like, what do you do? It, you know, we don't go into as much detail as we do with stranger danger of like, what happens if it is your stepfather or your uncle or your brother? And, and usually when these things open up in families, you realize that it wasn't just one person that was being hurt. It was five, 10, 15 people that were being hurt. And often you'll have the victim go to an adult, you know, go often to their moms and say, Hey, this is happening. And, you know, they're not heard. They're the, it's you're the information a liar. Brushed aside. You're a liar. You want attention. Yeah. You know, and, and if there's a financial need of having the perpetrator around, it's, it gets complicated and it's really, it's tough. But again, that you set up that, that place is, is for them to learn jujitsu and, and, not just for their strength, but their, their confidence, 
uh, is just tremendous. We, we need more people like that. You know, like it's crazy because we had the guy, you know, OUR, Operation Underground Railroad. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they came down, they stayed with me because like we've seen a lot of trafficking stuff going on. Yeah. And um, one of the things that came up was basically what you just said, because I was like, what kind of trafficking is there? And he told me all the different types of trafficking. And then I was like, which one is like the 80-20 if we're talking about Pareto's? Because like, it's always the 80-20, like no matter, maybe 97-3, but 80-20. And he was like, family members trafficking, uh, like family member trafficking, like family member, friend, like whatever, close vicinity. That's where it's happening. So yeah. Incredible. We need more people knowing about about trafficking. I think that, you know, finally there's, there's folks that are, taking the time to step outside, you know, our tiny little bubble of, of dumb news uh, and actually start looking globally at what's going on and looking at, at topics that are not necessarily, you know, sexy or pretty or, you know, whatever. And or com- comfortable. Or comfortable, for sure. But like, to start to ask these questions and if you don't ask, like you can really lead your whole life not knowing what trafficking is or, you know, who, and who might have been, be suffering in this way. Um, it's really, it's really wild how you can choose to stay ignorant about things like this. And, and I don't, I don't mean to say ignorant, but you can just choose not to, you keep watching regular news and you keep thinking that, you know, the same three topics over and over and over again are, are yeah. all that's out there. And it's not true. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not all about abortions, gay, and politics. It's not yeah. like those, just those three. There's a lot more to this world. Oh, and, my goodness. And the underbelly of it. Like, I grew up around trafficking. Yeah. You know, like, that's available anywhere in any major city. Yeah. Where uh, were you? Where'd you grow up? Brooklyn. Okay. So yeah, where, I grew, where in Brooklyn? Uh, I grew up in Sheepshead Bay, but yeah. I, I used to hang out in um Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, like most of my friends were like Caribbean, Puerto Rican. There wasn't a lot of Russian Jewish, like I'm from from Chechnya. So like, it's a very extreme, like violent place. Like our national sport is wrestling. Yeah. I was raised. Bears, wrestling bears. You have to clarify that. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I I grew up with a totally different set of principles and like uh, ideologies uh, that people around me weren't exposed to and the p and i just i hung out with people that were very uh hardened to say the least and trafficking was everywhere i just didn't realize it because i was selling drugs when i was growing up and like what i didn't what i realized only afterwards after hanging out with all these organizations that are actually combating this is like that's just like uh that's the um the gateway drug to tra- trafficking is the real game. It's a replenishable resource. Skin, like it, it just you can keep using it over and over again. It's a great business model for those people. Yeah, uh, and like it is what it is. Like it's just like if you look at it um, outside and you're like, this isn't bad, this isn't good. It's like it's a great business model. So yeah. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, dark as fuck, but that's their business model. And I never realized it as a kid growing up because like, it was all these older dudes in my neighborhood that used, cause like, I don't know. I, I I always like was great with women growing up and like a gift and a curse. Right. Because I would, I would be 
dating girls my age and there would be these older dudes in the neighborhood in their 30s trying to date these 14 15 year old girls and it's like almost normalized because mm. that's that's what goes on and like the word pedophilia was never thrown around back then but that's just the way it goes yeah know, like we're luckily we're, we're moving, hopefully moving, you know, in a different direction and at least learning, you know, learning and what can you do? Um, you know, I, my, so my dad was Slavic uh, from uh, Serbian. So I've, that, the Slav. I, I had an idea. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I thought it was in those regions. Yeah. Yeah. S- Serbian or like, yeah. 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 I mean, it's very violent regions in a lot of ways so so you know it's it's interesting to to grow up like that because even though I was tiny you know petite I should say he still was like oh you have to be tough as nails because you're the oldest so you know maybe you are small but uh you have to be able to move quickly move long distances like stuff that none of my peers were having to hear from their parents I'm sure but he was always like you know, shit may go down at any time you need to be prepared, which is fantastic because now I look at, you know, friends of mine and they don't have that mindset. And then, you know, when stuff happens, they're all running for toilet paper, you know, and I, (laughs) what what a crazy year. Can you imagine like humanity is at the point where we sold out of toilet paper. It was just like, you know, you can wash, you can wash your ass. Like, yeah. Yeah, like the rest of the world does, you know? <laughs> or not, you know, yeah, or, or, not. or not. <laughs> They're choices, but uh, but yeah, I was I was tell the story about something that happened in New York. I don't know. It was like it was supposed to be a hurricane, or you know, something that was supposed to be awful. And I go to the grocery store, and of course, it's packed because if you're going to have a hurricane overnight, you need to stock up on food for like two months. I don't know why people get crazy. Um, and there's certain things that are completely empty. So there's no toilet paper. There's no chips, right? No toilet paper, no chips. Those were the two things. Was there, it was, that's, I think that's about it. Those two things were completely empty. And I thought, what are people doing? Like, really? This is what you need to keep you? So I looked and I remember taking pictures because I thought this would be such an interesting collage of some sort of things that people really feel like they need in an emergency and then okay tons of bleach no one was taking bleach just in case no one was taking I was thinking like what would my dad my dad would make this a question okay you get to go into the grocery store you have 10 minutes or he would give me two you got two minutes to get what you need what are you going to take and you know it would be nuts bleach uh maybe dried fruit maybe some alcohol because you can always trade alcohol make sure you have a good knife um, you know, uh, probably some heavy trash bags, uh, and mat matches, some dental floss or sewing kit, you know, like it was, you know, and of course you have to have your go kit at home, which never meant made sense to me because I'm never home, you know, that has maybe some meds and in it. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I I get it. You know, a lot lot of people never saw that. A lot of people didn't grow up with parents who, I mean, we've been in like a really relatively safe space for so long now that like, I mean, we don't have people that grow their own food. We don't have people that like preserve their own, like we don't, we've lost so many of our ancient skills. We don't, most, most men have never been in a fist fight. 
where it's yeah. just like, come on, like you, yeah. there should be like, like you're not allowed to comment on Facebook until you've been punched in the face <laughs> at least once. Like, <laughs> I completely agree. I completely like, agree. You have to change a tire. You have to like, there's certain things that you have to do, but that, the repercussions of that are bad because I think that in the back of your head, you know that, wow, I've never hit or been hit in the face or changed a tire, or there's, there's a, things that make you a human that could survive through some basic things, not probably not very long, but, and you know that, and, you know, maybe you have to compensate for the fact that, you know, wow, I'm probably not as strong as, as all the bravado that I have that I walk around with. I mean, it's great. I I mean, I really believe that most men would be eaten by a rabbit, like a, like an angry gang of squirrels. Pretty much rabbits. Yeah. I was going to say squirrels. (laughs) Rabbit, rabbits, rabbits, hamsters. You get a hungry hamster, they could do some damage. (laughs) For sure. A hundred percent. All right. So how did you get into from clinical psychology how did it segue into breathing? Because that's like your specialty and the way that you describe it in your books. I've read two of your books so far and I'm really like meticulous and like following the fucking steps. Um, You have a very scientific approach to breathing. Uh, And like, how did you segue from clinical psychology to breathing? So there's the, the sort of the story is that I was always looking for my patients to give my patients other things to do because I'm not a very much like sit down vent talk therapy type of person. I'm much more like, okay, you have a problem. Let's just bulldoze it and, you know, get it over with. Um, So I give homework. I look for all different sorts of options, um, sometimes outlandish ones. um, But um, So part of it was looking for something else for my patients to do. And part of it was my own stress that I wasn't, it got to a point where I wasn't handling it as well as I thought I was. So I I went to a yoga class and I actually really liked the breathing they did. And it took me a while to find a good yoga class because yeah, yeah, at that point, like I didn't like incense. The, I I was just, it was just a little too woo woo for me. I've now gotten to like the woo. I'm, you know, I actually like it now. Um, and then I do listen to yoga music. I do like incense. Um, but back then I kind of, I needed things to be a little bit more practical to feel secure. And also, I mean, I was in New York. I wanted things to be efficient and I wanted to see progress. So You're anyway, and, what do you expect, <laughs> you know? so I finally found a yoga class I really liked. And, and one of the reasons I liked it, even though they ha- did have a lot of, they had a half hour of teaching before we actually went into the yoga, mm. um, was that they played amazing music. So for me, if I come into your house, um, I look to see what you're reading and what you listen to and actually what kind of dog you have. I look at those three things and I know that's a terrible way to judge someone. And I, I don't want to say the word judge, but you know, it tells me it's a projective for me. You look for alignment. Yeah. For alignment as humans. So it's like, It, it makes sense. It's yeah. It's like, what, what do you like? What do these things, three things tell me and what you're reading or if you're reading and it's not necessarily good or bad. It's just, Oh, what do you read? What do you like? Um, with music as well. I not now that I, you can't go and look at someone's CD or, or record collection as much anymore, but, um, 
but also like, oh, what do you listen to? Really important to me because I, I DJed in, in college for a long time. So that's super important to me. And then of course, like what kind of dog do you have? I'm a dog person. And you know, if you have a rescue, I'm, I'm probably gonna like you a little bit better. I'll still like you if you, if you have a non-rescue dog. And if you have a cat, definitely too. I mean, any kind of animals. So animals are good. I completely lost my train of thought. So how did you uh, segue into breathing? So the breathing um, is that I love the yoga class. We did some breathing in the yoga class. I loved it. I wanted more. So I studied all I could find about breathing and yoga, yeah. you know, which there's a tremendous amount. I mean, uh, prana and pranayama will take you a year to read. It's super dense. Um, but I wanted more scientific. I wanted to know why and how and the anatomy of it, so on and so forth. So I started reading about breathing and sports science and there was a ton of really great stuff. I mean, not all of it was comprehensible to me at the time and still, you know, there's, you look at some of these academic articles and obviously they're for academics. So, and that for academics that are very specific, so they're tough, but I started looking at uh, breathing and sports science. And um, also, for instance, the, the sport I found that had talked a lot about breathing um, was uh, Russian special operations training. So Sistema stuff, they Sistema, talked yeah. yeah, a lot about breathing. Um, Hickson hadn't started talking about breathing at that, at that time, but um, I was looking for any place anyone was talking about breathing. So in research, we had a lot of breathing. So after, was it the 84 Olympics? Once we started talking about altitude, there were a lot more studies that looked at breathing in sports. Um, and so I got to read a lot about that and then started looking at all my friends in their different sports. So I was looking at my clinical practice, what people with anxiety were breathing like, and then what people were breathing like in sport. So I came from, I, I ran cross country in high school and we won a lot. We had an amazing team. Um, so I came from a running background. Uh, and then I had friends that, that did everything, that, that fought combat, uh, combat sports, that, um, that lifted, that, you know, all different sports. So I got to be able to look at them and see what they were doing as well. So the biometrics, because I was looking, doing a lot of IQ testing and a lot of assessment in psychology, the switch over to breathing, it was sort of the same thing. I was looking at numbers, like what do these numbers mean and how do you make them better? And then the psychological part, which is how does the way you're breathing affect how you think and how does changing your breathing then affect how you think? Um, and not just sort of polyvagal of, of in vagal tone, but what are the myths that have made you start breathing this way? What are the things that have happened to you that have tightened your body so that now you're breathing dysfunctionally? And I always have people say, well, how can we be such bad breathers? We need breathing and it's so natural. But if you think about humans, you add a dysfunction and we just accommodate around it. So you add an injury. Well, we're not, we don't go and fix the injury. We just figure out how to limp around really effectively. Okay. So that's exactly what we've done with breathing is that we've completely screwed it up, but then we've managed to like compensate for that injury in other ways to the point that we don't notice it anymore until it's pointed out to us. So there's my long-winded <laughs> journey. Yeah, I mean, your your system is incredible, at least what I've seen so far. I'm really excited to like learn like in, in depth uh, the system. Cause like what I, 
I, I was going through a lot of stuff this year and it was like perfect timing um, where this book came out or around the time where it came out and I started reading it. And then, well, cause I, I have a lot of interests, right? Like the polymath thing. So like at that time I was going through like a really long EQ program. And then I dove into like Jungian uh, shadow work. And then I started to mix it together with the breath work and figure out how to, well, what I did was I figured out, cause like, all right, trigger, right? Like somebody's triggered, um, they go into fight or flight, like their breathing becomes shallow. Um, you're not like, it's very hard to like talk somebody out of it. It's kind of like what you were saying. So what I started doing was I was just like, all right, well, what if I take a hundred really deep diaphragmatic breaths and then, and then I start looking at my problem from, uh, from like a zoomed out perspective, because like, I can't deal with the trigger if I'm in the trigger. So I zoomed it out and then like, I started doing it and like, holy shit. Like I, I, I got rid of like certain triggers. And then I was able to like dive into the shadow work in that moment because it's like, yeah, it's cute. Like talking about like stuff that's traumatic from 20 years ago, but like, if I'm not feeling it, then I can't like get out. Like, you know what I mean? Like in a combat situation, like the only thing that's going to prepare you is other combat situations or as close to it as possible. So this was as close to it as possible. And then I started doing it with other people, like, and like running them through it. Cause like, I mean, one, one person's not enough. Like I needed more of like a test group. So I just started like, all right, go do these four things, go do these four things, go do these four things. Cause people call me with these massive breakdowns from like, from like, I lost my top client to like, I've been getting raped for 20 years. Right. So, and the person's still my friend. Um, and I didn't know, right. Like, like shit like that and everything in between. So I was just like, is it going to work? It's just like, yes, every single fucking time it works because as different as we all are, we're all the fucking same biologically. And like breath is the number one thing that we can't live without like food, right? We have three weeks for food, like a week without water. Uh, how long can you live without breath? couple minutes. Yeah. If, yeah. if, if you're lucky. <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah. 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 So thank you. I what first I wanted to like share my appreciation for you and your work because like I've studied breath and pranayama and like this, like this tied a lot of it together for me because it, it had like an actual like systemic approach that was scientific to to strengthen the diaphragm and like not a lot of people talk about that they just talk about breathing and different ways to breathe but like you talked about like how to strengthen a lost anatomical mystery that most people don't even know fucking exists it's it's bizarre how little attention the diaphragm gets and it's one of the reasons that I, there's a graphic and I said, I'm pretty sure it's on the website. Cause I, I try to make sure that there's a lot of information on the website, but I took the, the little muscle man that you see all the time, you know, on posters at your chiropractor's office or like even the gold's gym, little muscle man. I took that guy and I made my graphic designer slice it open and show how there's a muscle on the inside of the body because 
I don't think people actually understand that through the very middle of our body, there's an enormous muscle. They think, oh, muscles on the outside of the body, organs on the inside. And the fact that there's this, this big, you know, it's actually a skirt steak and it's in the middle, very, very middle of the body. And just because they've never, it's never been explained in a way. And this is where the psychology comes in for me is how has this muscle been explained that so many people don't understand it? It's like something is wrong with the way we are teaching things. We're, we're not using the right words. So that's where I get excited because I'm like, oh, okay, well, I have, I, there's smart people around me. I had someone the other day I was talking to and I said something about the diaphragm and she said, oh, it's about the size of a quarter, right? And I'm thinking you are an intelligent adult. And again, I did not know as much about it as I do now. I knew it was, it was in the middle. I didn't quite know how big it was or how it was attached, but we don't learn about it and we don't feel it. So we don't feel it. We can't see it. We can't see air. We're told just breathe. It's natural. So of course we just don't pay attention to that part of our body until, you know, you have a huge respiratory crisis like we are right now, respiratory health crisis. But Anyway, she thought it was small. It's actually much bigger. And, and what I realized as a psychologist is that we're not using the right words to get the information across. And that's what I love is you don't understand this. So there must be something wrong in the delivery of the message, um, which is the same thing with teaching kids is that if you have a kid who really wants to learn and you're beating him over the head to try to get him to learn in one way, well, maybe you're not using the right vocabulary. Maybe you need to change the way you show them the information. The same with adults who come in for couples therapy. If you can actually, you have two people who completely disagree, but if you change the story for each of them so that they understand, they can be much more compassionate with each other. So same thing with the breathing is that we're breathing really badly. We think we do it well. We have no concept of the way the diaphragm works or what it looks like. We have a lot of work to do, and that's that's where I started the journey for sure. It's incredible. I I mean, it's so incredible because there's so many things in our lives that are so simple, yet we think we do them so well. Like like for example, like there's combat for men, uh, sex for men and women, right? Because that's like an actual practice. That's not like something that like you're born knowing how to be excellent at, just like fighting. Like people oh, are like, I have definitely fists. not. <laughs> I have fists, like I can punch stuff. Like, all right, well, the first no. punch that you throw, you're gonna break your fist. Yeah, first take your thumb out from underneath <laughs> yeah. your fingers. <laughs> or at least out of your mouth. Yeah, take it out of your mouth. <laughs> but it, it, it's the same, and like breathing falls into like that category where it's like everybody does it, but nobody's even aware of the quality. Quality, right? Like we're just talking it's about quality. Total quality. And, and they'll say, you know, you can't change what you don't measure. So if you can't measure your own breathing, if you don't have a functional screening for your own breathing, then you're going to assume you're doing it pretty well. You know, it's like an IQ test. You're like, yeah, I'm pretty smart. You know, take an IQ test and or, or anything else for that matter. Like if you don't have a baseline for yourself, you can think, oh, I'm pretty good or the opposite. You can think, you know, I don't think I'm that good. And then you take the test, you're like, damn, it's almost like, uh, was it on Survivor when they did all the IQ testing and, and the girl that no one thought was very smart ended up blowing everybody out of the water with her IQ test. Super, wow. super interesting. And being able to give people a screening that they can do. They don't have to 
have insurance. They don't have to go into some, you know, hospital. They don't have to have a trained technician. They can actually take a test of their own breathing and give it to themselves. And then the test, which is the breathing IQ, is functional. So it actually gives you information on what you have to change. It's terrifically empowering. And it's so simple that you don't have to fill out a form. You don't have to co have a copay for it. Um, you don't have to buy a gadget if you don't want to. So, you know, I'm offering people, here's a functional screening of your breathing because you may think that you're breathing diaphragmatically, but why don't you actually measure and see because you're probably not. Yeah, I mean, I every, every single human being that's listening to this podcast, I recommend that you at least get this book, The Breathing for Warriors. Uh, it's it's incredible. It's simple. Like even if your IQ is low, you can, you'll figure out how to, how to read it. <laughs> it's, it. I've got a lot of pictures, and, but I got to tell you, Rome. Um, so the breathing IQ is on my website. Mm. Um, and, and actually most of the basic, uh, exercises are as well, because as much as I l actually loved writing this book, I really did. It's my favorite. Um, I still want the information to be on the website in case, you know, you don't want a book or, your, you know, wife thinks you have too many warrior books already or whatever, you know, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. the situation is. So you can go to the website as well. But thank yeah, you. Yeah, go to the website, but buy the book. <laughs> buy the book, motherfuckers. <laughs> it, it's it's going to cost you as much as three Starbucks coffees. Buy the book and it could potentially change your life. All right. So now I'm going to, are you, a, are you a practitioner yourself now of breathing or are you just teaching it? So I was seeing people one-on-one -on -one, and I still see some people one-on-one, -on -one, but I really uh, prefer to teach. I mean, I come from a, a family of teachers. So being able to teach people to do then see more people, uh, it actually spreads the word and much better. And I, I love teaching, like having a group. It's sad right now because this year I haven't, actually I have, I worked with a, a correction officer psychologists in Washington and we did a group, everybody wore masks. So we did get to do a, a teacher training, which was, you know, anyway, it's been such a crazy year, but, um, but yeah, I love, I love teaching. So being able to teach people and, and it's wild, it's wild to have the teacher cert up because I'll have folks come in and they say, oh, I'm not teaching. I just want to learn more about this topic. And I say, perfectly fine. That's great. They leave and they're like, oh, I'm definitely teaching. You know, even if it's I'm teaching my family or I'm just teaching my coworkers or all of a sudden their coworkers and their family find out that they know this information, they say, hey, would you teach? So, um, yeah, it's it's super interesting and powerful. And I got to tell you that I actually have people also complain that it's the course is pretty dense. So if you're wanting something fluffy, um, it's not. And, uh, and it's the course I would want to take, which is like just a lot of information, a lot of reading, a lot of great, like it's my favorite stuff in a nutshell. So all the stuff I've had to read that I thought was awful, you don't have to read that. But the articles it. I've read that I'm like, ah, oh, this is amazing. There's this Italian anatomist named Bruno Bordini. And there's, you know, I'm so nerding out right now, but he has this one article a research article that he writes about the diaphragm and it's I don't know if it's the translation or that he's Italian or what but the, it's a research article but it's beautiful he describes the diaphragm like oh 
so anyway, that article is on the required reading list. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love how excited you get <laughs> <laughs> out of the article. Yeah. I mean, I get it. That That's how I feel when I learn like a new jujitsu move or I get uh-huh. like a new ingredient to cook with. Or yeah. like, like today I had a, a pork trotters and chicken feet come in so I could make broth. And I, I was from Belcampo and I was so yeah. excited. I was just, <gasps> yes. Right now I have broth like broth of your own nice good crush broth good i gotta tell you i keep hearing from uh jujitsu folks that scarf hold doesn't work as well once you learn my breathing it's yeah yeah so again i don't do i i did muay thai a long time ago um and got injured so i don't i don't do jujitsu but if i was to start again at age five i would definitely i would (sighs) ah yeah I get it. I get it. Injuries are very common in jujitsu. Oh my goodness. Um, The last 12 years I've been uh, reversing the process of jujitsu aging. So I I started jujitsu 13 years ago Mm -hmm. and I had four herniated discs. I tore both my rotators, both my hips, uh, my right ankle, my right knee, no surgeries for any of them. And I was able to heal them and if I show you some of the videos of some of the things I've been able to like do from that, because I've just been traveling around the world, like, yeah. like right now, like I'm learning your stuff and a, a few other things, right? Uh, always. Um, but that's all I do. Like, I've never had a job. Like, I yeah. just like learn stuff and I teach stuff. I I'm a synthesizer. I guess that's the best way to Ooh. put it. So like I was hanging out with Wim. Yeah. And they had a guy named Andrew Huberman, who's like the Stanford. Love, love him. Yeah. Yeah, so we were hanging out on a bus and he was asking me a bunch of questions. He's a fucking nerd too, right? And he was like, you're a synthesizer. And I was like, <gasps> I, I, I don't, and, and How like- 80s. <laughs> he said it like, like five years ago and it just yeah. clicked a few weeks ago. I was like, I don't even know what a synthesizer means. So yeah. I had to like look it up and I was like, yeah. I am a synthesizer. Right. He is smart. <laughs> I can't even say it, but uh, yeah. He had a really good, uh, Gabby- uh, Gabby Reese just did a really good uh, podcast with Huberman. He's great. He's yeah. he's smart. He's athletic. He's uh, he's handsome. He's handsome. He's, uh, and he's a fucking nerd at like that thing that he That's does. So and he doesn't look like it, right? Like yeah. like you look at him, you don't expect him to say the things that he's about to say. Yeah. yeah. I just had Wim ask me for, um, not that I can say Wim because I don't know him personally, but his people asked me for a, an endorsement for his next book. So nice. You'll see. You'll Ooh, see an endorsement for Wim. He's a good book. dude, man. Yeah? Wim Hof is just like, just like a, like a giant child. <laughs> he's, I mean, like in the best way, you know, he's yeah. so childlike and he's easily like one of the most courageous people physically yeah. I've ever hung out around. Yeah. Like he just does like ridiculous shit just to yeah. do ridiculous shit. I'm t- I'm so scared of getting injured. I don't do any ridiculous shit anymore. I mean, yeah, I'm doing like I do CrossFit and yoga, but that's that's as that's as uh, ridiculous as I get right now. <laughs> I got it. All right, so yeah. I have a bunch of like rapid fire questions. For Excellent. You. Hit me. Yeah. What does your daily life look like? Like, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? What do you? Uh, do? What okay. does your training schedule yeah. look like? So um, I'm in bed at nine. Uh, and I'm up at about 5.30 um, and I'm only up at 5.30 because I have this puppy. I do a lot of rescue. So this particular puppy, um, if you go to the animal pad, it's on Instagram, you will see what my puppy looked like 
before she got here. They picked her up off the streets in Tijuana and puppy needs to go out at 5.30. So um, she, she goes, I take her out at 5.30 and then I start my day. I usually read a page from Pima. I don't remember saying Pima Children. Yeah, a page from her. She has this tiny little pocketbook. So I read one page out of there because it's not a haiku. She's fantastic. And there's, again, I don't know her personally, but she seems to have a good sense of humor. And it's the pages are, it's like six sentences. So it's nice. I can feel like I did something and it's only six sentences. And then I make some um, Cuban coffee uh, because I am half Cuban, uh, which if you've ever had Cuban coffee made by a Cuban, it will knock your socks off. It's incredibly strong coffee, which I love having really strong coffee. Um, walk the puppy again, go to CrossFit. So I go to Coronado CrossFit, which is down the block. It's fantastic. I mean, I'm kind of a quintessential New Yorker in that I appreciate things as close as possible. So I go to CrossFit and, um, then come back and just get on the computer, walk the, pretty much I walk the dog every 45 minutes. It feels like, cause I'm trying to get her house trained. I get on the computer I have at least it, I have at least like one a day an interview or a podcast, which I you know so appreciate that people are still asking me questions and you know it's humbling to with as many people that are teaching breathing to still have folks that want to talk to me so that's that's super nice. Um, uh, yeah, and then I got try to go out and do some more exercise. So what's nice is I've got um, the river right here. So paddleboarding. I had two years while I was writing Breathing for Warriors where I didn't go out at all. I had a really, it was a tough, tough time. Um, in that, it ended up being. I'm sorry, this is not rapid fire. <laughs> I mean, sorry. I'm good. I, I have yeah. as much time as you have. No. So it ended up being a much bigger book, much denser book than it was meant to be or at least that I had planned for it. So the last two years, I really spent a lot of time at home in front of my computer, you know, in a tiny apartment in New York City. So I'm trying to get out more and, and get some sunshine and so on and so forth. Um, I'll probably see some friends in some way. Um, I have, most of my friends are in the military here in some way or in reserve. Um, and then I, uh, I mean, yeah, I kind of close it down fairly early because I like being in bed early. I really, I'm keeping my sleep schedule really rigid. So, which makes me boring, but I got to tell you the UFC fights since I'm out in California are early, which is fantastic because I, you know, I love watching fight any kind of combat sports, but when I was in New York, they were on at midnight and that really yeah. threw me off. I usually would just watch them the next morning, you know, not, not let people tell me what happened and watch them the next morning, but it's nice here. I can watch them there at 7 PM and still be in bed by nine. Yeah. So I, I used to have this line when I lived on the East Coast. I used to say, because I used to, I used to like watch the fights and then they used to end at 12, but I like being in bed between eight and nine, you know? Yep. So I would wake up the next day and be like, fuck, like I've never watched the fights and be like, you know what? That was worth fucking those extra four hours. I could have just watch them on YouTube for free the next morning. Exactly. You know, exactly. So yeah. I got to tell you, I usually cook somewhere in between there because I really, I actually do. I love food shopping. I don't know. Regular shopping, not so much, but I do love food shopping and I like cooking. So there's definitely meal prep in the day as well. And then I'm reading, right now I'm reading, I know this is is actually boring that I'm reading this book. I can't tell you a fun book, but I'm reading Stealing Fire. So yeah, 
yeah good stuff um i'm behind i'm behind on my reading so i'm trying to catch up yeah. uh yeah and i also don't you know if i don't like a book i will put it down so yeah i used to make myself finish and uh it's i have to find books i really love now if i really love them i also won't put them down which then means i'm gonna go to sleep later I feel the same <laughs> way about everything <laughs> like humans uh activities books uh videos i don't give a f- courses i don't give a fuck like if i don't like it yeah like, i've made myself a promise that like i'm just not like what if i die today yeah. like what if i'm eating my fucking bone broth today and i fucking choke on it and i die and like and then i fucking sat in the morning reading some dumbass fucking book that and, like and and i mean that with the most utter respect yeah. to the human being that put in x amount of time to yeah. write that book it's just like it's not aligned yeah yeah, but I get or it. a movie. I will walk out of a movie. People are like, you'll walk out of time. a movie? I'm like, oh, yeah. Or what's even better is that I will fast forward to the end. Uh, <laughs> is, a, is just, just let me know, you know, just let me know if they lived. That's all I need to know. I'm good. If it's American, yes. Yes. If it's European, no. No, right. no. European, those, those no, I totally agree. Because at the end of every American movie, Jennifer Aniston gets married. Right? <laughs> so we already know that. <laughs> even if she's not in the movie, she gets even if she's married. not in the movie, she's getting married. For and in sure. a European movie, like especially if it's French, it you know you if you go straight to the end, you've just missed all the chaos. And you know, have you ever that. seen a more? I have not. Yeah. Ah man, like I emotionally, oh. for like maybe like two weeks, I held on to like that thing uh amour and also like intouchables the original okay. one from france with the paraplegic guy that ha- that um hires like that black dude to take care of him um a mate will... like in french um yeah fuck it hurts the heart but like oh have you like... seen metatronio no it's good oh yeah metatronio yeah it's i i like um topics topics that have to do with war uh yeah but uh, I love it. but it's it's a love story too. And it's an old movie. Uh, it's about these uh, Greek. Let's see. No, it's about these Italian soldiers that get stuck in Greece during World War II. Yeah, you should you should see. It. I'm gonna check it out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now these are okay. these are for sure rapid fire. Okay. Go. If you weren't a clinical psychologist slash breath coach slash author slash game changer slash dog rescuer synthesizer synthesizer (laughs) what would you be if i wasn't um gosh (laughs) i don't know i really actually i don't know I don't it's know. It's a hard what question for synthesizers because you're already doing yeah. all the things that you want to do. Yeah, I really I'm I'm exactly I'm exactly where I want to be. And I, I I love my job. So I can't imagine, you know, I might be an eyebrow technician. Ooh. I don't know if you've realized this, but women are spending a lot of time on their eyebrows lately. And um it's kind of interesting to to see people work on their eyebrows. I don't know if it seems you know, maybe, like such a small but maybe it's, it's like the niche. diaphragm. Maybe, maybe it's, it's like, like the, the diaphragm. diaphragm. And also, you know, tattooing, cosmetic tattooing, I think is really interesting. I remember I had a friend who uh, got slashed across her eyebrow for some reason. So she had this nick in her eyebrow that made her look kind of ghetto and she didn't like it. So I took a permanent marker and I actually markered it in for her 
to show her how it would look if she got it tattooed. And that was a lot of fun. So I think, you know, something to do with, uh, I, I guess that's, that's- Helping people feel better about this. Yeah, helping people feel like. better by by markering up their eyebrows. <laughs> yeah, I, get, I mean, whatever works, right? Yeah, yeah. What is one thing you would love to upload into the minds of everyone in the world? Ooh, kindness. Kindness. People being unkind to each other. I mean, I don't care if you're dumb, if you're smart, you know, what you look like, what you weigh, like we need to be kinder to each other. Cause this is like a, we are in a fucked up world and we have been, and it's, things are dark and awful. Just be nice to each other. Just be civil. Really yeah. just like kindness. And I don't mean like mushy. You don't have to be mushy about it, but just be like, just be kind and practical. You don't have to walk around hugging everyone, but just, just take that extra step to be nice. At least hug yourself. Yeah. Lots of self hugs. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. First, <laughs> and then it's easy to like, let it fucking yeah. ripple out. What is the one book outside of your own books that you have found yourself recommending to people uh, throughout your life or even in the last 10 years or so? Uh, I mean, there's 10 that I give people all the time. So um, there's one called, this, this is coming to mind right now, This I Know is True, and it was made into a movie, and it's about uh, choosing, being allowed to choose when you want to die if you are sick. Mm, I love um, it. So that's one that I recommend in specific situations. Obviously, it's not one that I recommend all the time. Uh, but as we get older and our parents get older, I think I probably will be recommending that one. That's something I feel really strongly about. Um, and I'm, I'm part of organizations that, that help lobby for um, end of choices for end of life. But I really do think, and we, even though we're young, really have to think about this because there's a certain time where you lose, where you stop being able to choose and people start choosing for you, mm -hmm. um, whether it's family that you like or that you don't like, uh, whether it's hospital care and the financials that go on there. So end of life, right to choose, so important. Yeah, this I know is true. Yeah, because we definitely don't live in a natural world right now where that selection is actually happening in a natural way. So it's like we live in like this fucking fake bubble where most people aren't even alive, but they're still being kept. Because I used to work in nursing. Well, I was in nursing you know. school and like finishing up. I, yeah. I dropped out two classes before graduating. Uh. But, <laughs> but like that, I seen so much of that. I was like, fuck that. I don't want to be part of this fucking yeah. system. But you got to like, you got to get with your friends and make a plan because yeah. it could happen to any one of us. Oh, I'm going to eat LSD put. and like blow my brains out or something. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe, yeah, maybe <laughs> a happier way, but you know, it's still in the same. I'll smile while doing it. Yeah. No, in the same vein, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so what, what music are you listening to? Not right now, because we're yeah. speaking, but like right now in the general sense. Oh, so, I mean, I'm a pain in the ass in CrossFit because um, I'm always changing the music. So I hate um, pop music. I just hate like top 40, mm -hmm. if that term even exists anymore. So I listen to like 80s hip hop or old punk rock, um, uh, like old, old punk rock uh, or salsa. Those are my three, uh, you know, and a little bit of country too. Nice. So those are my genres. Yeah. 
if you were to have a favorite ice cream combination made specifically for you, custom, what would it have? You know, I love mint chip and I love Briar's mint chip. And and Briar's, if you want to send me mint chip ice cream for saying this publicly, please do. I have no problem with you sending me ice cream because I'm I'm pushing your product. But uh I just love mint chip. Just like I love it. yeah. <laughs> Even though, you know, if you could give me a rum raisin that tastes like really had some good rum in it. I love rum raisin. I love pistachio. I like, uh, you know, pretty much love all ice cream. <laughs> I don't have it that often, but Minship is just, it's my go-to. Yeah. I love it. If you were a food, what kind of food would you be? Oh man. Uh... I'd probably be a melon. <laughs> okay, I like it. <laughs> Again, I'm the, there's no logic behind this, and I'm just thinking that's just what, what came to mind. Yeah, yeah. that doesn't have to be. I if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? I'd probably be a dog. Yeah. Any I'd specific kind of dog. dog or like just like- You know, I'm dog? all about the underdog. So I tend to like, you know, mutts and pit, I love pities. Um, you have a pet. Yeah. I, you know, I, I like the underdog, but I'd, I'd probably be a dog, even though if, as I think about it a little bit more, I think I'd probably want to be kind of higher up on the food chain just because the animal kingdom's pretty, you know, as yeah, like maybe an eagle or something, you know, nice. something like that. Yeah. Definitely nothing in the water right now. Cause we're really screwing our animals that are in the water. So yeah, I would not, not want to be a water animal. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with this uh, personality test, but you might be. What is your Enneagram number? Oh, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know what my Enneagram, but you could, you would probably give it a stab. What do you think my Enneagram number is? It's possibly, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know yeah. what would be my best answer. Ah, oh, come I, on. I, that, that's always my best answer for yeah. almost anything I've yeah. ever encountered in my life. Possibly a two, but okay. like we, we have the whole spectrum. Yeah. Um, so I was studying the Enneagram when I was studying the Jungian shadow work stuff. Sure. Apparently mm -hmm. it's like ancient shadow work, like uh, the ancient Babylonians, the ancient Egyptians all used to use and, and the numerology of it, nine, the Taoists also have like nine. So there's a lot of like stuff there and it, it definitely uh, helped unlock and let go of a lot wow. of weird shit. Like I'm an eight and yeah. that's the most intense and extreme number. Huh. And um, my need, like my unconscious need is to go against something. Mm -hmm. So once I acknowledge that, I mean, it's what, it's what, they, it's what uh, I think Young says, like once you bring the unconscious, until you bring the unconscious into the conscious, like it's going to keep controlling. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that's so perfect. So once I let yeah. go of that yeah. need... And yeah. once I just started looking at it, it's like, oh shit, like this person said this. Now I'm like, fuck this person. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to burn them down. Like yeah. it's just like a fire, but now I'm using yeah. it to cook as opposed to burn the fucking world. Yep. Yeah. So it helped a lot. Okay. You're dying. Okay. The uh theoretically. Oh, we're dying every day. We're, <laughs> we're sure. closer to one step closer to death. What is your last meal? Oh, that's good. I actually read a New York Times article that had I listed last meals. Um, of the serial killer dudes, right? Yes, exactly. Yes, I love that art. Wasn't that great? <laughs> Amazing. Um, and I was surprised how many burgers there were. I mean, I was like- We're in America. Really? A burger? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, 
I'd probably have all the things that I try not to eat. So I'd probably have like macaroni and cheese and of course, mint chip ice cream. Uh, you know, why not have lobster? Why not get crazy? Even though I feel for the lobster, honestly, I've, I've read up about that. So I don't, probably don't want to have lobster. Um, I'd probably drink a lot. Actually, I think I'd really just pound down the wine because I don't drink anymore because it just feels terrible, not because I don't want to, but uh, I would probably just really drink. I think that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I'd have mint chip ice cream, macaroni and cheese, and a couple of bottles of wine. I love Red. it. <laughs> I love it. That's a great way to go. Your last experience, no matter how long or how short it is, and who would you have it with? Uh, my last experience, you know, who would I have it with? It would, you know, either be, and this is kind of Freudian, it would either be hanging out with my dad, like having a meal with my dad, or it would probably be having sex with the boyfriend I had the best sex with. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Your last piece of advice for the next generation? To take care of the planet. Yeah, I know, again, that's a little uh, cliche, but uh, we're just so screwing it. Uh, and again, I, um, you know, I think about what's going on in the water and what we do to the water and the, and the ocean. Um, I just read a book called Ambassadors of the Sea that just talks about long line fishing. It's just, we're just, we just throw garbage into the ocean and think it's going to be okay. So every time you go to the beach and you're like seeing garbage all around, like it's good to go pick up garbage on the, and on the beach. I totally get it, but it's even better not to go on a cruise where they take all the garbage and dump it off the side of the boat every single night. Now, granted, we're not, any of us are going on a cruise anytime soon. However, like we got to take care of things around us because there's, that's it. It's all we got, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a macrocosm for the microcosm of our lives because we're at what, I think 42.4% obesity rates in this country. So yeah. people are doing the exact same thing to their bodies, which yeah. are predominantly water. Like we're literally just like yep. water with Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And, Ooh, what a great parallel. Yeah. And like, they're doing the same thing to the fucking seas. So you are the synthesizer. You are the, the synthesizer. Blessing the curse, I like right? that. I like that. <laughs> your the line, I don't, I don't know, um, either on your uh, urn or on your tombstone, tombstone. Um, like I, I'm going to be burnt and made into like a fucking diamond ring or something, or like, uh, or like a, I don't know, like a tree, yeah. like, like, but like a fruit bearing tree, not like yeah. some bullshit. Like I want, I yeah. want to like provide shade and fruit. Yeah. So I don't know what you're going to choose, but like whichever one, what do you want written as the line on your tombstone? You know, um, Henry Rollins uh, has this line that's uh, when life gives you lemons, I say lemons. I love lemons. What else you got? And I think that that attitude uh, is a really good one. So, um, you'd have to know who Henry Rollins is great old punk rock dude. Um, not that he's old, but it's old punk rock, even though actually he's older than, than we are. So maybe he's an old punk rock dude, but the whole idea of like, 
yeah, like make the best of it, make the best of it. Yeah. Yeah. Something that comes up for me is like the last few weeks, maybe few months, I had this like really big kick in the balls where it was just like, everything is fucking perfect. Like everything that's ever happened to me in my life has always been perfect. Like this moment is perfect. Everything that's going to happen in the future is perfect. And then the question that comes up is like, cause like the mind, right? Like the mind is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, how can you call that perfect? But like my question for the mind or the monkey is like, if you don't think that this is perfect, then show me fucking perfect. Mm. Mm. You know what? I would love to see you do something that's split screen, where one one side of the screen would be your talking about philosophy, and then the other side of the screen being your brain commenting on you commenting about philosophy. Ooh. That would be really like that would be two different two different people, Ooh. and yeah. It's almost like, you remember that show where they had the aliens sitting in the movie theater and they would comment on the movies? I didn't see it, but that's- Oh, how, I have to send cool. you the, I have to send it to you because great. It was like these little aliens and they would sit in the, in the movie theater and they talk about what was going on in the movie. It's completely sarcastic and it was fantastic. I, I'll, I'll send it. I love it. it. Yeah. I love it. I mean, maybe, maybe what I'll do for my second season is I'll take all the podcasts that I recorded and then I'll just put commentary on them on the other Love end. that. Yeah, you know, and it could even be making fun of yourself or making, oh. hell, please make fun of me. I would enjoy that a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it would be great of like, what, I, you know, when I listen to podcasts and I don't often listen, I probably should. I always think like, what was I, how could I pronounce that word that way? Or what tangent was I going on? It's kind of interesting when you do listen to yourself of, of good grief, that was personal belief. So why did you say that? You know, or, you know, and then people are like, no, it, you sounded vulnerable. We liked it. Anyway. Yeah. I've never listened to one of my podcasts yet. Oh yeah. I've yet to listen to one. I mean, I read once like 10 years ago that Johnny Depp never watched, watched any of his movies. And I was yeah. like, fuck it. I'm never going to like watch my content. <laughs> you uh, should and comment on it. I want to see that video <laughs> of you commenting on your own podcast. How I see this, this podcast, even right now is a postcard that I'm stamping from uh, uh, November 9th, 2020, where we're having a conversation and like the me that lives here and the you that lives here like, first of all, like I'm already a different person after, at the end of this conversation that I was at the beginning of the conversation. So it's like, this is just a postcard. Like in 10 years, I can look back and be like, wow, I was fucking retarded or that was brilliant or whatever the fuck like, I feel in that moment. It's like, I just see this as like a postcard. Like, I don't know, I used to take myself really seriously, like as an entrepreneur and like, I, I'm so serious and I make money and like all this, or I'm a, or I'm an athlete. It was just like, Nah, I'm just like a fucking a piece of dust that has like form and <laughs> literally like I'm just flying to my fucking grave at some point. Like it doesn't matter. We're just like dust on a flower. That's one of my favorite books is Horton Hears a Who. Mm. That's actually probably one of the books I'd give people is like, yeah, we're just like specks on a flower. If you haven't read that book or if it's you just your kid, it's on your kid's bookshelf is like, it's really intense. So we're just specks on a, on a flower. I love it. I mean, that's a perfect way to, to end this uh, podcast. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. This was like, this was the high point of my day. It's, it's downhill from here.
So. No, no, I think, <laughs> I think it's going to get better. It's going to get better? Excellent. I think it's going to get even better. I mean, maybe some of the things will just like sprout out of nowhere. I love that. Thank you for having me. Um, it was It was an honor. Thank you. Have a beautiful rest of your day. We'll talk soon, I'm sure. for listening to the Alchemy of Self podcast. If you resonate with our message, please show us some love by hitting the subscribe button and giving us a like. You can also visit our website at www.romza.com to continue your journey of self-discovery and keep up with our latest offerings. With love and harmony from all of us at the Alchemy of Self podcast.